Welcome to Sustainababble 40. Blimey, Sustainababble 40. This time last year we were brand new and we were talking cracklingly and not very well about fracking. And now we're still here banging on and what are we going to bang on about this week in your friendly little environment podcast, Ol? This week we've got a space theme. Great. Ooh, I love yeah. space. Yeah, well that's the thing. We're going to be talking a bit about space and why... Why do we get all excited about it when there's a whole blinking planet down here that we, you know, should probably pay a bit much, a bit more attention to? Uh, we're going to talk about some sustainable from someone with stellar intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, space and stellar. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about an Inhof, an anti-Inhof rather, who is um, a star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know how there are like dwarf stars and stuff. So it's what, like that guy who was in Willow? Don't know what that means, okay. but we'll, we'll move on. Uh, yeah, dwarf, dwarf is a small thing, isn't it? And, and we are going to talk, therefore, about a small mouse. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you had to think about that? An hour and 19 minutes. Crikey, and you couldn't, you couldn't even bring yourself to plan it. <laughs> Very good, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Very Thank good. You. Yes, yeah, so uh, I think we've, we've smashed that. The usual disclaimers, um, these are our uh, little witterings, uh, not those of the people who employ us, who are environment charities. Uh, so don't have a go at them. Have a go at us if you've got any problems. Um, anything else we need to say or should we just bash on? Let's boldly go. To infinity and beyond. Sustainable of the week. So, Sustainable of the Week, uh, this is the section where we talk about the nonsense that's been spoken out in the real world, usually by important people or high-profile people who are trying to sound green or are just not making sense. Um, This week, however, we've decided to up the ante a bit. Uh, (laughs) We're going to call out probably well widely recognized as one of the most intelligent human beings ever to have graced this planet what are we gonna say is sustainable this week dave well we're gonna have a go at professor sir stephen hawking that's who we're gonna have a go at. of course we are <laughs> why wouldn't we are we gonna accuse him of the most egregious eco guff right <laughs> and i'm gonna i don't care i don't care how clever you are i don't care how much heart how much hardship you've had i don't care how many films you've had or how many books you've written or how many planet changing equations you've written in your head and i don't care how funny you are right doesn't mean you get <laughs> to say babble quite right well i'm yeah. emboldened by your boldness uh, so let's let's have a bash um what, what is it what? exactly that a bash at, at, at you know huh. babbling Stephen? uh gosh i've got myself in a pickle uh what what is it that, that how did Stephen you get Hawking, the pickle in go away oh. leave me alone 
uh, what's it that Stephen Hawking has said, or in fact is going to say? So Stephen Hawking um, did a thing uh, that I tried to get tickets for, actually, and I couldn't. Um, for a, He did a talk, I think, called The Wreath Lecture, which is Oh, he's doing talk. those, isn't it? Yeah. yeah Every year. I listen, they're great. Year. BBC ones. Mm. Yeah. They are. They're very good. Um, someone uh, wonderful goes and talks about something clever. And uh, this time, Professor Stephen Hawking. Is he Sir Stephen Hawking? I don't know. I don't know. Should be. Professor Sir Stephen Hawking, sir, um, in a wreath lecture that has already happened but will be broadcast to the nation this Tuesday, January the 26th, was talking about whether or not we're all buggered basically, uh, whether or not we're going to ruin the Earth, whether or not, you know, either something will happen like meteors or uh, the dinosaurs will come back and kick our ass or the mice will take over or, more likely, we will bugger it up ourselves. And he was talking Mm. about that. Um, And he said this. We will not establish self-sustaining colonies in space for at least the next hundred years. So we have to be very careful in this period. Hmm. We have to be very careful (laughs) not to totally ruin the planet for at least the next 100 years. (laughs) For now. For now. Don't don't get me wrong. Ultimately, it's not a problem if we chuck this planet in the bin. Just don't do it before we've got a new one. Yeah. So what? what (laughs) Just don't do it for a fortnight or so. Right, so because this is a Stephen Hawking, people will look at this and they'll go, that's not Babel, right? And what he'd said immediately before this, the bit that Arabella didn't read out, um, was that, oh, thank you very much, Arabella, by the way, was... She's so selective, isn't she? Isn't she? I know, I was picking, <laughs> cherry picking. Basically, he was talking about that in the next thousand or ten thousand years, we we should have spread out into space, he says, and to other stars, so it wouldn't mean the end of the human race if we uh, have a disaster to planet Earth, which ruins everything, right? Um, but he said that's not going to happen anytime soon. So people who are banking on it um, are probably wrong. What it came out as is just be careful not to ruin the Earth just for now, eh? Um, because <laughs> because we won't be able to run away from it yet, which isn't also <laughs> particularly good news for anyone who can't get into a spaceship like e.g. a panda or a ugly fish or a mouse. So, oh, there's a new planet. A what? There's a new planet. Did you see this? They found a new planet. And it's a very, very planety planet, apparently. No, they haven't found it. Oh. That's the point. They found evidence of it. Oh, right. Is this a bit like uh, when I came to stay around your house and I found that evidence under your bed? (laughs) Which you could not prove. (laughs) Uh, It's a bit like that. Yes, they have found... Well, they they started seeing a whole load of objects clustered together in the outer reaches of of our galaxy, behaving in a in a completely sort of homogenous way, and they ruled out loads and loads of things, and basically came to the conclusion that the only reason they were going around in a group, a bit like a sort of under five, no, not under five, a five-a-side football team of like under nines, all chasing the ball in like a completely uniform little pack. Um, 
they concluded the only reason this was happening is because they were under uh, the influence of something's gravity. And that something, they reckon, is massive and planety. And they've worked out its kind of orbit and it's all crazy and elliptical and everything. But they haven't yet found it. But they think it's very, 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 very big. Well, how did they manage to do that? When they were going around telling poor Pluto it wasn't a planet anymore, did they manage to just miss the massive other planet that was flying around <laughs> in the background? Apparently, yeah. That's ridiculous. So look, space, right? Space is amazing. I love space. I grew up as a spotty little science fiction fan. I love Star Wars and Star Trek and all of that. Um, and space Do you want is me to um, make a little confession at this point? Come on. Never seen Star Wars. What? <laughs> Any of it? None of it. What? None of it. Well, but you, why? How come? Well, you're not. This one's twelve A. You're not old enough to get in. Or what? <laughs> <laughs> didn't have any idea <laughs> sorry well how sorry, come why not, not? why why is it because uh, of your it, posh university is it because your hair keeps getting in the way is it because you're spectacularly stubborn about things why no why no, it's not the latter it's really not the latter um you like it, all if, sorts of shit i know i just haven't i was obviously not around when the first ones came out they were in the 70s weren't they like 76 was the first one or something like that. Yes. So I missed it first time round, yes. right? And that's that's fair enough. Um, and then I remember everyone getting incredibly excited about the second lot. Well, they, they were like they were late 90s, mid 90s. But they were on telly. I mean, I wasn't around for the first one either, but they were on telly. I've, never se- I've just never seen it. Anyway, you didn't have a telly. You didn't have a telly when you were I little. That's what's going on here. Of course I had a telly. No, you didn't, did you? I did. You yeah. used to have people with violins come around and play music and leave <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, I think space is great. Um, and there are a lot of reasons that you reckon, oh, you think space is great as well. There's a lot of reasons why thinking space is great might mean that you think saving the planet is great. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I think, well, there's the first, I think, and most uh, cool reason is that it's just this kind of awe-inspiring, mind-bending, beautiful incomprehensible thing and isn't that a brilliant way to experience escapism and wonder um and also when you think about the fact that we've gone out there and we're finding out all this amazing stuff and we've put humans out there who can breathe where there's no air and can walk around and stuff you think wow we are actually as a race capable of some pretty extraordinary things so therefore you know, surely if we put our mind to some of the problems that we discuss on this podcast of climate change and biodiversity loss and all the rest of it, surely we can fix that too. It's all, and very, I, and all I, very Brian Coxy, isn't it? All very into yeah. amazing in all this space. Great. <laughs> That's very good. Isn't, That's very isn't good. it wonderful? And then like, and getting more and more about like, and the most amazing thing about space is the beaver is all about space as well and all of that. That's what you're basically saying, isn't it? It's like, get people think, excited about the big stuff and then they'll care about the little is, stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, it just makes me feel more optimistic. I think it's easy to get gloomy and pessimistic and oh, well, we're only going to screw things up, aren't we? Um, but I think we've proven that we can do some clever, clever stuff. Uh, the other thing is, I think a lot of really sexy, important, not necessarily sexy, uh, technological advances have come from space, haven't they? Well, a like um, teleporter. Yeah, yes, exactly. That That is 
shortly to be announced. And pr- Apple will probably bring one out, won't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a whole wiki page, wiki 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 page. Wikipedia. What do you what do you call that? A wiki, I should think. Uh, about spin-off technologies from NASA. Yeah. Um, Did you also get up the uh, the technology page that had the spin-offs from War? Because I'm sure there'd be lots of those as well. So is War a good well, thing? That is what Kirsty, our friend Kirsty Styles, was saying when we interviewed her, wasn't it? In it? episode thirty-seven. 37. Uh, yeah, she was saying all of that. Uh, that a lot of a lot of technological innovation comes from the military, um, and and it does with NASA as well. So that's cool. That's another good thing. No, it's not. That's the point. So you can't argue that just because you get some good benefits from something that inherently makes it good. It is not. You go around shooting people in the face in war and then say it's all right because we invented the Packamac as a result of it. That's not good, <laughs> is it? Like so that uh, that's a stupid argument for one. It's you know the all of the science know-how and everything that's going into NASA is great, but it doesn't follow that those scientists would otherwise go and work down the chip if they didn't you just could put them to work on other stuff yeah but i don't think space exploration and war are directly comparable are they i think i think for the my first reason we can say that uh space exploration is a good thing um and it's even better of a good thing because some of the spin-off and side products that come from it are excellent don't know there is a school of thought that says that it is hubristic nonsense and not only is it hubristic nonsense that it is phenomenally expensive hubristic nonsense so the idea that we like yeah. we've got we've got a planet that we are rapidly overshooting and you know causing all this damage to and filling it with more and more people and stuff like that and 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 we're going right well we better go get some other planets then because we're too impressive and important for this one and so we reckon we're going to strap on our little spacesuits and we're going to go to Mars and we're going to go to Alpha Centauri and we're going to go to Beetlejuice and up Uranus and all that sort of stuff um, and we're going to colonise it but actually you know people would say the problem there your starting problem is not recognising our own sort of mortality and littleness in the first place it's a symptom yeah I don't agree with that either I think that um, the opposite happened actually and that the earth rising picture that famous famous picture that someone uh, took when they were looking back to Earth from space, um, first time that anyone had ever seen the planet from that perspective, is credited with kind of kickstarting a large chunk of, um, I guess, what we call the environment movement in in sort of whenever it was, um, 60s, 70s, because people suddenly had this sense of our little, beautiful, fragile planet in a way that they never had before. Um, so I think it can give us new perspectives on Certainly. on our tiny little bonkersly fragile and insignificant place in the in the solar system and also although there are some people working for nasa and all that doing all this i don't think humanity is as a as a group trying to think uh, thinking how can we colonize space i think you know some bonkers people are saying that but but not most people So uh, it's expensive business, all this space stuff, right? Um, so the budget of NASA is $19 billion-ish a year, I think. Budget yeah. of the European yeah. Space Agency is $5.5 billion. Um, it's not in dollars, it's in euros, but you take my point. Um, <laughs> and that's quite a lot of money, which is, you know, so the, the NASA's budget is $19 billion. The Environmental Protection Agency in the States gets less than half that. So uh, expensive business and expensive business to, you know, bung essentially a person or a satellite on top of a million gallons of exploding kerosene, set fire to it. um, And when it's finished, drop it back into the sea. 
Um, quite an expensive business. Quite a, a big thing you're trying to do. And all right, okay, an expensive business, as Dr. Carl has argued repeatedly. Go back and listen to episode 23 for our interview with Dr. Carl. <laughs> um, as Dr. Carl has said, um, an expensive business that is nowhere near as expensive as e.g. a war. He's right about that. Um, but it is expensive, and we need so much money now down on earth to do stuff. So shouldn't we be using some of that? Yeah, that is an argument, but I it is would an say argument. that they were, yeah, and it's a silly argument. Oh. I would say that there are an awful lot of things down here on little old earth that we're spending our billions of dollars on that we should not be spending uh, those billions of dollars on, like, for instance, war or, you know, trident, uh, in my opinion, or yeah. new roads, you know, like getting all excited about tarmacking over all the most beautiful places in the countryside so we can put some new cars on there. Anyway, my point is that there's a whole load of things that I would take money away from uh, in order to focus on, you know, poverty reduction or climate change or just making things fairer the, that I would do before I would take that money away from, from space exploration. I don't think it's either or. And actually, a thing that is sort of broadly understood, but it's worth pointing out, is that big chunks of your NASA budget and European Space Agency budget are actually on environmental stuff. So it's not like all they spend this money Do on is... Do not tell Donald Trump that. Well... No one mentioned that to Trump. Oh, there was that good thing in, in the... Did you hear old Barry Obi in his State of the Union address talking about making a specific link between space, which everyone's all excited about, and climate deniers? And he said, um, well, he said this. 60 years ago... When the Russians beat us into space, we didn't deny Sputnik was up there. <laughs> we didn't argue about the science or shrink our research and development budget. We built a space program almost overnight, and 12 years later, we were walking on the moon. Thank you, Barry Obi. Yeah, so uh, $2 billion of NASA's 19 goes on Earth science, and $1.5 billion of the European Space Agency's budget goes on Earth science as well, which is like monitoring the Earth, doing... And all of the stuff, you'd have seen the horrific, horrible, terrible, beastly, awful, miserable news last week that 2015 was the hottest year ever by some distance. Like, it by was... By a country by mile. A, by a country mile, by, like, a degree more than the 20th century average, which is much higher than the gap has kind of ever been. Um, and that data predominantly came from NASA, came from space, came from satellites that can, you know, kind of picking up the spirit of the Earth rising shot when people looked at Earth and said, ooh, isn't it pretty? Now we've got satellites looking at Earth and saying, ooh, isn't it buggered? Which is, you know, kind of uh, ironic, I suppose. Um, and huge amounts of so that you do, stuff is done from space that is about saving Earth. And that's something that people don't don't get. Uh, what about the Chinese? You're always going to mention them in the context of anything expensive yes. and massive and important. Yes. Uh, they are apparently wanting to mine the moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Which can only go well. <laughs> what, do they, what do they want to get off the moon? Uh, helium, apparently. Helium 3. Oh, blimey. Apparently Helium 1 and 2 weren't such of a hit, but Helium 3, <laughs> the classic of the trilogy, is, um, is is really, really strong. What did you do with Helium 3? What's that for? Well, apparently, they, they, according to an article on the strange web, strangely named website immortal.org, uh, they are, the Chinese think that Helium 3 um, may be the key source of energy in the future. And 
conveniently, in my opinion, according to their own chief scientist of the Chinese Lunar Exploration Programme, the, the moon's got loads of it, uh, and we can harvest it and easily solve the world's energy demands um, by providing renewable energy through nuclear fusion. I'm not sure you can call it renewable if it's a thing you have to go and mine. Um, and also, I don't know that anyone can yet do nuclear fusion, but um, we'll gloss over that. No, I think nuclear fusion has been 20 years away for the last 20 years or something like that. Um, yeah. I remember that bloke, we talked about it, oh, about a year ago, ages ago, we talked about the bloke who wanted to put solar panels on the moon. So there's always been this idea, I think, that people are looking, again, instead of looking at the moon as some sort of, you know, uh, spirit in the night sky, bringing on the next day and controlling the waves and all of that sort of stuff, people look at it and go, ooh, we can have that. We can chop that up and burn it, yeah. or we can we can go on there and we can build golf courses on it, or we can I don't know uh, put all of the horrible prisoners on it. I bet they put prisoners on it one day. I bet that's something they do. Put prisoners. Oh, on Oh, they the definitely will. Yeah. They definitely will. Yeah. Porridge is porridge, isn't it? First time for me. Don't know how I'll get through. Well, cheer up. Could be worse. State this country's in. You could be free, couldn't you? So, oh, we started by talking about. Stephen Hawking and accusing him of all sorts of babble. Do you remember? Uh, yes, and I stand by it. Yes. Um, and we said that the idea that we should hold off destroying the world just for now was silly and he should be pointed at with the babble stick, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you know, people are trying to cure death. People are trying to make it so that you can live forever. And we're living forever and ever as it is and getting older and older and older and having more and more babies, right? And this is the thing. Whenever you hear people talking about, like, Dr. Carl said, do you remember Dr. Carl said to Arabella, he said, yours is going to be the first generation that lives for 5,000 years, right? And you hear mm. that kind of stuff and you think, well, okay, Dr. Carl's just being a bit silly there, but we are going to keep on living more and more. There are going to be more and more and more people. And probably, you know, maybe we do have to actively start looking for another planet to live on. Ah, uh, it doesn't sit well, that argument. Why would you give up on, on this extraordinary planet? It's it's breathtaking, isn't it? You, you just see the most extraordinary beauty and um, wonder and complexity and simplicity and all the rest of it. Um, and it's it's amazing. And why the hell is there going to be something as good or even a tenth as good uh, that we might be able to find, even if we do find a way to keep ourselves alive on a big dusty rock in a, you know, maybe attached to a different star or whatever. That doesn't, I just, I don't rate our chances of finding something great. It's just a paradise sitting there. It's a hell of a, it's a hell of a uh, plan B, isn't it? Really? Mm. Like, um, rather than stopping destroying the only place in the entire universe that we can live at the moment, We'll go and find another place in the universe that we can live, and we better hope that works. That's the basic line of argument, yeah, isn't it? I don't like those odds. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't like those odds. Great, <laughs> Although, actually, I do seem to remember that when we had Alice Bell on, didn't we agree that if Donald Trump becomes president, we are actually going to move to Mars? Isn't that a thing yeah, we, no, that, we do? And, and that is fine. Yeah. That changes things comprehensively, doesn't it? So, Inhofe time. Inhofe is the name of the section in honour of the American Senator Jim Inhofe, who is a 
penis uh, because okay. he, th- he thinks penis, isn't he? he said penis because he thinks that you said I wasn't allowed to say douchebag so You're I'm not. saying penis You're not allowed to say penis either <laughs> okay He's he's an idiot. Uh, he thinks that climate change isn't real because there's still snow. Anyway, we named a section of the show after him, and we look for people who are similarly idiotic. Who have we got this week, Dave? Well, um, we have got a guy called Joe Barton, right? And Joe Barton is the chairman. He's a of... footballer. <laughs> yeah, indeed. He scored a and blinding he, I mean, goal against Brentford he... the other night, incidentally. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So this is Chairman Emeritus. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Emeritus. 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 Joe Barton, who is a Republican, one of your Tea Party Republicans in America, who wrote a bit of law that basically allows America to export oil, crude oil, which is something it hasn't been allowed to do for 40 years. Why are they not allowed to do it? Why? Hmm. Um... So, yes, apparently, uh, uh, thanks to some sterling research that I have just done, me, I did it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. Um, it was down in the Arab oil crisis, which was when in the 70s um, they, they banned the export of oil so that America would have enough and wouldn't sell it to other countries. And basically because that made a lot of people very rich, they didn't get around to unbanning it. I think that's basically right. But they have unbanned mm. it now. And Joe Barton okay. wrote the legislation that unbans it, right? And this... So what we have seen this week is the first two tankers of American crude oil, or should I say, liquid American freedom, which is how it is what? actually being described by the <laughs> Republicans, can't. including including oh. Joe Barton. Liquid American freedom. Two tankers of liquid American <laughs> freedom made their way into Europe last week they have arrived it is very historic um and in an age of the oil price going down through the floor america has chosen to take this moment to export its shale oil you said it was shale mm. oil, yeah apparently it's so exporting yeah. its shale oil from shale from fracking in america uh, to export it to the rest of the world because otherwise um they're going to have to put it in the bin yeah, well, I think in an era of a complete glut of oil, what the world needs is more oil from America. So um, that's that's going to be brilliant. Uh, liquid American freedom. For that phrase alone, Mr. Barton deserves to be an Inhofe corner. I mean, it, it is probably quite a bad thing for the environment to be shipping more oil around the world. But I think the greater crime here is calling uh, anything, you know, let alone a kind of bland industrial product liquid american freedom they've probably got cheerleaders on front of the boat haven't they and a big band they've probably got that donald trump those three poor girls who were singing a donald trump anthem have now probably been stuck on this liner and are singing and cheerleading their way to france poor things So, anti-Inhoff time. Um, clearly, for every Inhoff, there is an equal and opposite. In- Anti-Inhoff. Uh, and who is it this week? Dave, who's been great? It is your friend and mine, superstar Leonardo DiCaprio, who is 
an actor in America. Mm. Very old. He's 41. Leonardo DiCaprio is 41. I'm difficulty processing that. Um, and as well as all of that, he is a environmentalist. He loves the planet. Um, and he has been at the World Economic Forum last week in Davos. In oh, yeah, the, uh, the snowy get-together for rich people. Snowy get-together for rich people who get together and talk about how important it is to be rich. And mm. he was there, and he stood up, and he said, Hmm. Thank you for inviting me. He was actually there to receive an award for being such a nice guy, for being a philanthropist. A what? Shut up, I can't say the (laughs) word. Um, Neither can I say the word (laughs) compartmentalise, except I just did. Well, he did very well there. Thank you very much. Um, He has a foundation, a charity, which gives loads and loads of money. He's 15 million very recently to environmental projects, and he was there getting an award for that. And while he was standing up getting an award for that, he said this. We simply cannot afford to allow the corporate greed of the coal, oil, and gas industries to determine the future of humanity. Those entities with a financial interest in preserving this destructive system have denied and even covered up the evidence of our changing climate. Enough is enough. You know better. The world knows better. History will place the blame for this devastation squarely at their feet. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Pretty good stuff, isn't it? So a lot of times you get stars, you know, famous people banging on about the planet and, and doing stuff and signing something and, and be, you know, doing unforgivable songs doing unforgivable songs. Yes, indeed. Now, where's that? Where's that song? You got it? Put it on again. Here we go. Yeah, now you go. Um, but Leonardo DiCaprio actually does something about it. So he channels huge amounts of uh, philanthropic money towards stuff. And he, he really bangs on about it. And fair play to him. You know, he really is one of those people, like your man Arnie, who tells it like he sees it. And, of course, it's worth pointing out that him being all famous, and just like your man Arnie, um, instantly attracted lots of ire from uh, scary right-wing nutjobs. Did you see that? Uh, no, but I can well imagine it. Yeah, yeah. So he was accused of, instantly accused of, well, how did you get to Davos then? I suppose you got there by pogo oh. stick, did you? Or like, oh, I wonder how many flights you have to take as a film star. And, you know, the stuff that is kind of at some level kind of making some sort of point. But also, if you're using your your phenomenal influence and platform and fame to do something genuinely good. If you've just brought out a film which is essentially about how delicate the natural people are in the natural world, which is that Revenant film. Mm. Um, Oscar nominated. He's going to get his gong for that, they reckon. He will. Um, And if you do all of that, I think you're allowed to take a few flights. Yeah, I agree. Well done, Leo. Get in Inhofe Corner. No, the other one. Get in anti-Inhofe Corner. Have yourself an ice cream. So, reasons to be cheerful. This is the section where we try to perk ourselves up and look at the good stuff that's going on. And sometimes, you know, we just have slightly, uh, what's the word, peripheral, 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 we'll go with peripheral concerns. You know, things that are nice but not that important. This week, we've got something truly transformative, truly game-changing. It is 
It is the sort of thing that makes you think, we're going to do it. Oh, wow. Things are looking up. Oh, blimey. So you must be talking, are you, about the massive collapse in coal? So coal imports in both India and China down 34, 35% um, uh, in, uh, in, in the last month? You talking about uh, good, but no, it's not. It's bigger, bigger, more important than that. More exciting. Think bigger oh, scale. Um, so okay. Um, well, I suppose the other side. So China installed uh, thirty gigawatts of wind power. For, has, now has forty gigawatts of solar installed. Um, all very good. All very good. You can not that. Not that. No, you're talking. Oh, really big. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the, yeah. Okay, I know what this is. It's the instigation of legal proceedings against Exxon Mobil, isn't it? By the Attorney General of California, who's looking into what Exxon Mobil knew about climate change and and didn't tell no, people about. It's that. No, yes. Also a good thing. Also a good thing, but not. Uh, it's just not on the same scale. What is um, it? Do you, want, do you want to tell you what it is? Go on. Okay, brace yourself, Dave. Oh, I'm so pleased to be able to say this. This is the news that the very rare harvest mice have returned to the Hampshire village where they were first discovered. They've been locally extinct for over 25 years, Dave. But, and it's so cute, look at it, look at the little harvest mouse. The little thing has come back thanks to conservation efforts. What? It's a little mouse. How how many mice? Um, well, 150 have been found. Stillborn it is. Hampshire. 25 years, they thought, since they last saw one. And now there's 150 little nests. Thanks to conservation efforts. It's great, isn't it? 150 mice. Yeah, look at them little... Oh, they're so cute. Look at their little faces. Are you they're off your cute. head? I've just talked about <laughs> colossal great global reasons to be cheerful, the potential Dang. legal humbling of a massive horrible oil company, of coal demand dropping like a fly in the face of the world's climate ambitions. And you want to talk about a mousey. What's so good about the blinking mousey? I like mousies. I like mousies I more you, than you like mousies. He could, he, this little mouse, he could humble a global oil company. Look at him. So what's happened? Come on, what's, what are you so excited about? What's going All right, on? okay, well, look, the, the, in Selborne in Hampshire, um, there has been a massive conservation effort to get these little things growing. And um, some farmers have been involved and they've done some things called um, farmer clusters, <laughs> which... Uh, Are you allowed to say that yeah. on a family show? Yeah, I think I've seen seen that in some specialist DVDs. Yeah. But um, no, this is, this is uh, them just doing clever conservation things over an area of about 4,000 hectares. Um, uh, in order to try and get a load of small mammals to come and live there and to just increase the biodiversity around the area. And these little things, these harvest mice, which apparently is the species immortalised by Beatrix Potter in the um, uh, Beatrix Potter books. He's <laughs> uh, <laughs> come back and he's, and, he's, and he's alive. And, you know, this again just shows what we can do. If we actually start to create the conditions for nature to thrive, it will thrive. Despite having knocked off for 25 years, it comes back. Let me see if I can summarise what's happened here. So, there have been some mice in yes. some fields. And then the yes. mice went away. Because... Mm. There was nowhere to live. 
there was nowhere to live. So what happened was loads of farmers, for some reason, decided to let the mice come back. And they decided to look after, uh, not not just, you know, they, they've still got their own four football pitch size bits of desert that they themselves turn into colossal great monoculture. But right at the edge, they've made a little bit of room for some mice. And they've talked to their neighbour, Farmer Giles and Farmer Jack, have gone, is that your hedge? And Farmer Giles has gone, no, that's that's your hedge. And they've gone, what about if we just look after that hedge and put a mouse in it? And, the ma- and they've gone, <laughs> right, fine. And they haven't covered that in pesticizing chemicals and horrible combine harvesters that kill mice and chop their heads off. And they've done that. And then a mouse has gone back to live there. 150 mouses has gone back to live there. And that has caused... What? That has caused The Guardian to write a big piece about it. It's caused Environment Secretary Elizabeth uh, Truss. Excuse, excuse me. What? It was in The Times as well. <sighs> this is exactly the sort of thing. So look, it is a good thing that the mousy has come back. I like the mousy, right? It is surrounded by... Like, a, like the mousy. I like the mousy. It is surrounded by a torpid desert of death. It is surrounded by <laughs> monoculture and by horrible corporate profit and by pesticides. It is surrounded by a lack of regulation. It is surrounded by all sorts of anything goes. And the Environment Secretary comes down and goes, right, shit, what have we got? Who's done something good? What? Where? Mouse? I like mice. How many mouses? 150? Is that all? Well, okay, well, we'll go down and we'll make a thing of that anyway. And all they've done, these farmers, is they've not destroyed a little bit of hedge. What you want? Micey. So that is just about it for Sustainable 40. 40, Dave. Can you believe it? No, I cannot. I cannot believe I've put up with your silly smiling face and your floppy <laughs> hair for all this time. I've gone bald since we started recording this <laughs> podcast. Why haven't you gone bald? You're the one who talks all the guff. Yeah, well, you know, don't blame me, Dave, because if you've seen the film with Nell and I, you will have received some very sound advice. I don't advise a haircut, man. All hairdressers are in the employment of the government. Hair are your aerials. They pick up signals from the cosmos and transmit them directly into the brain. This is the reason bald-headed men are uptight. Hmm? A lesson I think we can all appreciate. Well, I certainly am uptight now. I wasn't when we started this podcast, <laughs> but I am now. Uh, thank you, as always, listener, for listenifying. Thank you, Arabella, for reading out this week's babble. And thank mm. you to Dickie Moore for the wonderful, lovely music that starts and ends and intertwinkles this here podcast. And if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. There are various ways you can do it. You can tweet us at the Babble Wagon. You can have a little look on Facebook for Sustainable on Facebook. Uh, you can send us an email at hello at sustainable.fish. Or if you want to just check out our back catalogue, have a little play through, go to www.sustainable.fish. Right, you are. Thank you very much, Al. And... Thank you very much for being part of this week's Space Tainer Babble. <laughs> oh, Space wow. Tainer Babble. Oh, Space Tainer congratulations, Babble. Congratulations for keeping that in Space so long. Tainer I don't know Babble. how you managed that. <laughs> <laughs> Space Tainer Babble. Uh, very good, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Oof. Bye. Bye. Bye.